0: Once again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. So glad that you're here to worship with us today. My name is Pastor Micah, and uh, just love, love, love worshiping with our church family. Amen? So good to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to continue to worship today through the study of God's Word now. Uh, if you're a guest with us, man, we're really glad you're here. We would love to serve you, help you any way we can. So if you need anything at all, please let us know. Uh, There are some extra Bibles underneath the chair, so if you need a Bible, you can grab one of those and follow along with us. We're going to Acts chapter 12 today. We're just going to pick up where uh, Nathaniel left off last week with a great job bringing God's word to us. Amen. Can we thank God for raising up more preachers and harvest? That's awesome. Um, So this this whole section of Acts, though, we're looking at how do we continue to walk with God and be on mission while we're being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that only He can do. And uh, that, that's only possible because, as we're going to see today, we serve a God, we follow a God who is all-powerful, magnificent, above all creation, and is unstoppable, as we're going to see, I think, in the text today. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, um, one of my favorite things to do was to wrestle with Dad. You know, I don't know if you ever, some of you guys had that experience with your dad when you were growing up, or maybe you are a dad and you've had that experience with your kids. Like, just that we'd get down on the floor and just tackle each other and jump and hit and kick and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and he would let me win, you know, for a little while until he had enough. And then he'd pin me to the ground or throw me into the couch or whatever the thing was, right? Like, and, and, but every time he would throw me or pin, me, like, I would always get back up and come right back for more. Because something in my little, like, six-year-old brain just was convinced I could win. Like one of these times I was finally going to get it, I was going to get there and I was going to, but it, it never really happened, right? Because dad was bigger. Until the day that it did. You ever had that experience like you grow up a little bit more and then you, you don't, dad doesn't quite realize yet that, and then all of a sudden something happens and dad gets hurt and then it was funny. We didn't wrestle anymore after that. Like it was done from that point forward because all of a sudden now son is big enough to actually inflict some pain on dad and it changes things. I think sometimes um, we do this spiritually with our Heavenly Father. We fight and we want our way and we want it done this way or we want to be in control. We want to be in authority and power. So we fight and we fight and we fight. And something down inside of us actually believes that at some point we might win, that God might give in and do it our way, that that he might change and, and do what we want and we might finally end up on top. But the problem is, unlike our earthly fathers, God never gets smaller and we never get big enough and he's always going to win because he's God. If he didn't, he would cease to be God. Like that's kind of the definition of being God is you always win. But sometimes we still don't get it. And so I think one of the important lessons that we need to see today in the text is simply this. God always defeats his opponents. So don't be one. It's a bad place to be, right? God always wins. And so we don't want to be opposing God. We want to be with God. And let's look at the text and see how this plays out today. So chapter 12, look at, start in verse 18 with me. It says, now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. First point today I want you to see in the story is this. God fights for his church. Don't oppose it. God fights for his church, so don't oppose it. We start off here in verse 13. It says, now when day came. So that little phrase there is triggering us to realize, hey, this is building on something that's already happened, right? So if you remember last week, I'll just kind of recap for you. Nathaniel did a great job of bringing... God's word to us last week, and he told us that at the beginning of the chapter, James has been killed, uh, the, um, the leader of the church James has been killed by Herod the king, and, and the Jews really liked this, and Herod realized that, so he captures Peter and puts Peter in prison, intending to kill him as well and to gain favor with the Jews. So he leaves them in prison for several days, waiting for the right time to do this, and, and in the meantime, the church has gathered together, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying, and then in the middle of the night, God shows up. An angel comes, and he wakes up Peter, and he breaks him out of prison, and and he gets out scot-free, and he goes and tells the church, and then Peter cuts and leaves town, right? And so verse 18 picks up at the end of that story. Now, when day came, the next morning, when the guards woke up and realized Peter wasn't there, it says there was no little disturbance. No kidding. The soldiers were freaked out. They, They were guarding this podunk fisherman like he was Jason Bourne, and he still got away. All right, like he's still gone, and they have no idea what happened. How is this possible? Like we were all there. The the doors were locked. Like he was in chains. Like this is unexplainable. And so they start looking for him. It says Herod searched for him. You're going to find out here in a second, Herod does not like losing. The only thing he hates more than losing is being made to look like a fool. And right now both of those things are happening. So you can guarantee that he used every single tool, every single soldier he had at his disposal to search for Peter. But the text says he still couldn't find him. This guy has access to the largest, most aggressive, most widespread, ruthless, powerful army, maybe of all time, but definitely of this time, and he still couldn't find Peter. He calls all the soldiers in to to question them, he says he examined them. Think like hardcore interrogation, probably torture at some point to say how, who did it? Who was on the inside? Who let Peter go? And he still couldn't find him because God was protecting him. Because God had rescued him because God was fighting for his church. And Herod was not gonna win. So it says the soldiers were put to death, which was the normal consequence of soldiers. If you lost your prisoner, you got whatever their punishment was supposed to be. In this case, it was death, and so they're killed. Which would have been an even bigger motivator, right? Like if you are a soldier and you know, if we lose this guy, I'm gonna die, like you're not gonna lose that prisoner. This was not an accident. Peter didn't just happen to wander out of the jail. This was a miracle of God delivering Peter and rescuing and fighting for his church. So it says Herod left town. He went down to Caesarea. He gave up. (laughs) He was defeated. He put his tail between his legs and he went to the summer house. Okay, like he's out. Because he opposed God's church and he lost. We need to understand when you read, if, if you just take any time to read through the narrative of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't even matter. What we see time and time and time again is that our God is an unstoppable God. Like nobody's got enough to challenge him. And if that is true, then that means if, un, if, there, if he's an unstoppable God, then his church is an unstoppable church. Unstoppable God equals unstoppable church. That is good news for us. It's easy to look at everything going on around us in our world, in our country, in our culture, and think, man, things are, it's just not going good at all. The church is, is declining. Things are suffering. We're never going to make it. All this opposition. But the reality is we're always going to make it because we are God's church. You understand? This is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's unstoppable. church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says it like this. He says, I will tell, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock, not Peter, but Jesus, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus promised us. He's already said, he's already declared it to be true that the church is unstoppable. Last week, uh, or I guess two weeks ago now, Courtney and I got to um, go down to the Senior Pastors and Wives Retreat for the GCC and got to spend time with other pastors and their wives, and, and uh, it was wonderful. Thank you guys so much for, uh, again, allowing us to do that. It's just such, such a filling time to, for us and so helpful. Um, but while we were there, we got to spend a night together, just kind of on a date night and spend some time together. And just I'll tell you what, we've been married for 15 years now, and I love this woman more today than I ever have um, in 15 years. And It's just so cool to see God just grow those relationships and and so through 15 years, we've had some fantastic memories. Um, we've also had some crazy memories. If you've been married for very long, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I was thinking about one this week. When we were very early on in our relationship, um, we had some friends who were getting married down in Memphis, Tennessee. And so we went down for the, for the wedding and the festivities and stuff. And, and we were at, I think we were at the rehearsal or something. We, had, we were leaving and we were going across the city to another part of the city to have dinner. Um, and we didn't know where we were going, so we had to kind of caravan and follow, you know, the people in front of us. And this was like pre-GPS days, all right? 15 years ago, okay? So, so you didn't have GPS on your phone, right? so we're just following everybody, you're trying to stick together. And so we started driving through kind of downtown Memphis. And we got through, if you know anything about Memphis, there's some fairly dicey areas, okay? So we, we kind of get in this kind of rough part of town and we're driving through. And so I'm just sticking hard on the bumper of the person in me, because I do not want to get separated and lost and I don't know where I'm at. So we're staying hard and we pull up to this light and we stop. And so I pull up real tight, and there's this guy kind of waiting in this parking lot to get out, you know, and I didn't let him out. I just kind of pulled up real tight. So, so he just starts slamming on the horn and yelling and just, like, going at it. And, and my sweet, beautiful, loving, caring, naive wife rolls down the window and starts to yell back at this man, trying to explain why we're not letting him in. But nonetheless, there's this exchange going. I'm like, what are you doing? Roll up your window. Like, you're going to make me get out of this car and have to go to blows with somebody. Now, that didn't happen, thank the Lord, because if I had gotten out, he was a big dude, it probably not have went well for me, okay? But I can guarantee you this. If that man had come after my wife, I was going to be there. It was going to be on, because that is my wife, and I love her, and I will fight for her to the death, and I will protect her no matter what. Do you understand that the church is God's bride. That he loves her. That he will fight for her. That he will protect her no matter what. That's why his church is unstoppable. When you oppose God's church, you oppose him. The difference is He's always big enough to win. I might have went down that day, okay, if, if something would have happened. I'm just telling you for real. But God never does. And so you don't want to be on the other side of that. You know, unfortunately today, sometimes the church kind of gets a bad rap. I've heard people, even Christians, people who call themselves followers of Christ, talk about the church in less than flattering terms. Say, so I love Jesus, I just, I just can't stand his church. You know what? It doesn't work that way. God is not good with that. A preacher friend of mine several years ago on this idea said, you know what? They're sure there's problems in the church. And the modern day church may indeed be the armpit of the bride of Christ. But it's still part of his bride and God still loves it and he will fight for it. So here's what you need today, okay? I am only ever as good with God as I am with his bride. I'm only ever as good with God as I am with his bride. If you've got a problem with the church, you need to get with Jesus and get that fixed. God fights for his church. Don't oppose. That's point number one. Let's keep going. Look at verse 20. Now when Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Point number two, God fights for his glory. Don't steal it. God fights for his glory. Don't steal it. Here it says Herod, he's down in Caesarea now, right? He's hanging out at the summer house. But he's got this problem with Tyre and Sidon. These were two neighboring countries that were dependent on Judea for food. Judea was kind of the breadbasket of the Middle East, right? Like they grew a lot of the crops and then they would trade them to other people for other goods. Kind of like the Midwest is kind of the breadbasket for a lot of the United States or even the United States for other countries in the world. Same concept. And he was in this trade war with these countries and he was so mad at them, he was so ruthless that he was refusing to ship them any food. He was starving them basically just cut it off in order to show his power, to show his authority, to show that he was in charge. So it says they all came to him with one accord. So both these countries come together, united, like we got we to fix this. So they come and they persuade the king's chamberlain, which was basically like his chief of staff, right? Like his like closest advisor to like go and try to talk the king into getting peace. It says they asked for peace. They, they were begging for mercy. They were pleading mercy. For help. They were humbling themselves and falling down and asking, and they were essentially praying, if you will, to Herod. And Herod's response is not one of mercy or grace or help. It's one of manipulation. He says, okay, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. I'm not going to handle this right now. We're going to appoint a day, where you can all come and show up and give me honor and give me praise and worship me in this formal setting. And he comes out on the day in his royal robes. And if you read other historical books that are around, not the Bible, but in other historical books around the time period, it says that Herod's robes were made of silver so that they would catch and reflect the sun and create this shining glory aura around him as if he was God. Robes in this time for kings in general were meant to to show power and position and majesty. So he puts on the robes. He comes out in front of all the people. He sits on the throne, right, again, to show the power and authority that is his. And then he gives an oration. He gives a speech. No doubt declaring his magnificence and his power and authority that they could submit to and finally get their food. problem with Herod now is he's starting to believe his own press. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's told himself for so long, and he's surrounded himself with people who have told him for so long that he is the greatest, that he is not just king, but he is indeed God. And he so much believes it now that he steps into this moment to receive the praise and the worship of these people And what's ironic is Luke here is using this and he's painting this picture, this scary picture of not a true God, but a false God that these people are worshiping. And when you take the account here of Herod with the the day and the robes and the throne and, and you compare it to some of the other scriptures that talk about Jesus as king, it's really kind of, Illuminating. Check the parallels out. Let me just read you a couple. Just listen to this. Psalm 93, one through two. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed and he has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. That's talking about Jesus. And Revelation, at the end of days when... Christ is preparing to come back. In Revelation 4, uh, verse 2, it says this, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. The one is Christ. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads skipping down a little bit, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. And they never cease to say, I'm in verse eight now, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And, verse nine, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. That's the picture of the true God and King. Herod's little, piddly attempt is just a weak imitation. He's got silver in his robe. This guy's got majesty in his robe. There's not even a comparison. But Herod doesn't get it. The people don't get it. That God alone is truly worthy to be worshiped. So the people start shouting out to Herod. The voice of God and not of a man. The voice of God and not of a man. Can you hear them chanting it? Herod was getting exactly what he wanted. This is what he came out for, was the praise, the worship, the glory. See, it's not just the act of what he's doing. It's the heart behind what he's doing. you compare this to Peter's response just a couple of chapters ago. Remember in Acts 10 a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Peter going to meet Cornelius to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And when he walks in, Cornelius falls down and starts to worship Peter. And what's Peter do? No, 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 stand up, stand up. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Don't You don't worship me. Let me tell you about who you need to worship. But not Herod. He's just soaking it all in. So the angel of the Lord struck him down, killed on the spot. Which for some of us, is like, man, that's really harsh. But here's the deal. A direct assault on God brings a direct response from God. When you blatantly go after stealing God's glory for yourself, you're just playing with fire. And it tells us right here in the text, Luke says, he struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Our God's not only powerful and unstoppable, but our God is a jealous God. Sometimes that's hard for us to hear. When we think about jealousy, we think about it as a negative trait, right? Like if someone's jealous, that's not a good thing most of the time. And the reason it's not a good thing is because usually they don't really have the right to be jealous because they're not perfect and they're not right and they're not always. The problem is God is. He's always perfect and always right and always the best, and so if you're giving anybody else what he deserves, he has every right to be jealous. He will not share his glory with anyone. So Herod struck down and says, "I love the vivid picture here that Luke gives us. He's eaten by worms and breathed his last. The guy who just thought he was God and had everybody else thinking the same thing is now as low as you can possibly get. He's below the worms. He's being eaten by the little creatures that crawl through the dirt. And he breathed his last. Lifeless, powerless, far from eternal, like God is. Herod's true glory is now exposed, or lack thereof. The hard part, I think, about this passage is, in our most honest moments, we're all a little like Herod, aren't we? We all have those moments, to one degree or another, where we're prideful, where we're we're self-centered, where we want the glory, we want the attention, we want the power, we want to sit on the throne of our own lives. We want to be the ones calling the shots. And we rebel against the true God and King so that I can grab all of that for myself. And that sin of rebellion separates us from God. And the Bible tells us that it's deserving of death, physical and spiritual death. And we're so caught up in our own flesh and in our own self-centeredness that we cannot find a way through it. We can't find a way to the other side. We can't find a way to get back in good standing with God again. And so God loving his people desiring to still have a relationship with the people that are made in his image, sent his own son, Jesus, to come to be born as a human, to walk this earth and to do it perfectly and sinlessly and to be everything that we could never be. And then he went to the cross and he died as a substitute. He took all of my guilt and all of my shame and all, of the, the, all, all the, the death and the wrath that was owed to me and he put it on himself. And he stood in my place and he paid the price for my sins. And he paid the price for your sins, for the sins of all who would believe. And he went to the grave and three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God. And to say, come, come to me, let me be your king. Let me be your God. Repent of your sins and come, and I will forgive you, and I will clothe you, and I will bring you in to the family, and you will experience the true glory of God. Friends, we don't need our own glory. We don't need our own robes. We don't need our own throne. All we need is Jesus. Isaiah 61 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robes of righteousness. When we repent, when we worship, when we glorify him alone, he covers us with the best, most wonderful, most magnificent robes of his glory far outweigh anything we can find on this earth. It's time for us to lay down the fake, empty, shiny robes that we think are so awesome and to come to God and let him clothe us in the robes of his glory. If you've never done that, if you've never yet put your faith in Jesus, I mean, I... I, Adjure you, do it today. Stop running after your own glory and your own honor. It's always empty and it always fails, but Jesus never does. The constant story of our life is that we're running after and we're chasing after lesser glories. Sports, music, power, money, fame, fame business, whatever your thing is, we're always running after something that we think, if I just get enough, if I just get a little bit more, I'll finally be happy, I'll finally be on top. And then we get a little more and it never works. And every time we do that, we're rejecting God's glory for our own glory. It's like giving up a view of the Grand Canyon to gaze into my own belly button. That's what you do when you give up your God's glory for your glory. That's the picture. It's like giving up box seats at the World Series to go home and play Wii baseball. It's like giving up a seat at the greatest banquet feast of all time to go make mud pies for yourself. It doesn't make any sense. Everything else we can get is so much less. We always lose when we go after our glory instead of God's glory. Here's the reality, friends. God will never share his glory with me, but he will shine it on me if I will humbly receive it. You don't need to try to steal it. You don't need to try to find it somewhere else. You just need to humbly come and bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he will shine all of his glory directly on your life and you will be changed forever. God fights for his church, don't oppose it. God fights for his glory, don't steal it. Last point, number three, God fights for his mission. Don't miss it. The last verse, look at verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. I love that first word, but what's that implying? It's implying that everything that just happened, all that Herod did, all that he thought he was, all the power he wielded, all the, all the, all the schemes that he had, all of it didn't mean diddly squat. Because God was in control. All of this, but still the word of God increased and multiplied. God's word cannot be stopped. His word, his, his living self-revelation in the person and work of Jesus Christ that is the truth of the gospel cannot be stopped. The power of God is in the word of God. That's why we stick so close to this book. That's why we proclaim it every week in this church. That's why we talk about it in our small groups. is why we study it in our lives. is why we live by this, because this is the power of God. I've said this before. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any other person you hear on the radio or TV. It's about the word of God fulfilling the mission of God. It's always him. God does all of it. We just get to be along for the ride. We just get to join in in this great mission that he is accomplishing through his power. Herod missed the mission of God. Because he was too caught up in his own mission, in his own glory, in his own stuff. And he completely missed it. But God's mission didn't miss a beat. Right? Herod might not have been on it, but it kept marching on. I love the way John Stott says it in his commentary. He says this, the chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. But it closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing." Every single time, God's word wins. That's what we need more of. That's what we rely on. That's what we put our hope in. We just had the um, Super Bowl last Sunday, right? Chiefs. Nobody, I don't get anything, really. So we had Super Bowl last Sunday. One of the biggest sporting events in the U.S. every year, maybe in the world, right? So I did a little research. This year, last Sunday, the average ticket price for the Super Bowl, $7,136. Average The average person traveled 1,540 miles to be in Miami to see the game, to be in the same, to be in the room. And for all of us who, you know, the money or just reality put that out of touch, 102 million people watch the game on TV or online. Why? Why would, we, why would people sacrifice so much money, so much time, put in so much effort to be in the room, to be in the, in the stadium, to because they just want to be part of something great. Right? They just want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, something that they can claim, I'm part of that victory. I'm on that, like I'm with them. I'm, I get to win too. And that's not actually a bad thing. God put that desire in every single one of us. He put this desire in us to be part of something bigger than ourselves, to be part of something where we can be a part of a win that's beyond even our own lives. But it was never meant to point to football. Right? It was never meant to point to, to fame or fortune or any of that. It was meant to point to us to the true glory of the God and king of the universe. That's what we're running after. That's the mission we need to be on. That's the room we need to be in. That's the victory that we need to be a part of. Is the glory of God every day, every moment. That's what we worship for. We're meant to worship him and him alone. Harvest, once we get that, once that sinks into our hearts and we give ourselves over to white hot worship of Jesus, we will be more pumped up and committed to him and his glory and his mission than anything else in all of life. That's where he wants us. That's what he's calling us to. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss a minute of it. God is always fulfilling his mission. And I don't want to miss Minute of it. I want to be all in, all time, running after him and his glory. I started off with God always defeats his opponents, so don't be one. That's a good word, right? Like that's a wise thing to heed. But I think we can maybe even say it a better way. How about this? God always wins his battles, so join him, okay. let's, let's flip this to the positive for a second. Our God always wins, so get on his team. Join in the mission, join in the thing that he is doing. This is what we're here for, Harvest. This is our purpose, to join the unstoppable God on his unstoppable mission. We just celebrated three years as a church. And over the last three years, we have seen God do some awesome things. Lost people being saved. Saved people being discipled and growing deeper in their faith. Disciples discipling other disciples. God continuing to bring more and more people to worship and to be on mission for his glory. And in the next couple weeks, be praying for us elders. We're walking through the kind of final steps here with this possible adoption of the church at afternoon. We haven't talked about this in a while, but we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to vet this out and make sure that the Lord is in this. And it looks like the Lord is gonna maybe do a really cool thing here. And so we're excited to bring some news to you in the next couple weeks about that, Lord willing. But here's the reason for all of it is so that God's mission can go forth and so that we can be a part of it. God could do all of this without any of us. Do you understand that? He could snap his finger and everybody would come to Jesus. But he's giving us this opportunity. He's giving us this next step as a church to step into something that could just multiply ministry and allow more people to be made disciples of. And we get to join in on that. We get to work for it, we get to give to it, we get to sow into the lives of other people, we get to be a part of God's mission. The unstoppable God on his unstoppable mission wants us to be partners. That's what we're running after. I hope that's what your heart is stirred to do as well. Stand with me. We're gonna pray, we're gonna sing, we're gonna worship. The God that calls us on mission with him. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, we thank you, God, so much for your glory, for your presence, God, that you continue to be faithful to come to meet with us, Lord, to to pour your spirit down on us as we seek your face. Lord, we thank you, God, that you never quit, that you never fail, that you never give up, that you just keep on going, unstoppable, seeking and saving the lost, making disciples, expanding your church. And we wanna be a part. Lord, we want in. We wanna have hearts that join with you and seek your glory and not our own. Lord, help us to lay down all the things that build us up and make us think that It's about us and not about you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lord, once again, empower us to run ahead with you on your unstoppable mission, our unstoppable God. We love you, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray.